from Luke 19, 9 through 10. Jesus said to him, today the salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, everyone. Thanks for, thanks for being here. It's good to see it's beautiful outside. I'm so excited about the weather. I'm one of those people that's deeply affected by how it is outside. Um, a couple quick announcements. We have community groups that are open. Registration is happening online, so if that's something you're interested in, it's a great way to meet other people, connect, uh, dig into like a topic or um, something like a scripture study, a book. Uh, so we have a few things going on. Uh, if you have questions about that, uh, you can come talk to me or there's some um, information about how to sign up on that table uh, that Aubrey had mentioned before. Uh, during Lent, we also have readings on, uh, excuse me, still waking up, readings on our website uh, so you, and on Facebook, Instagram, that sort of thing, so you can keep up with daily readings during Lent leading up to Easter. Um, and then lastly, uh, we have an annual meeting, uh, and our membership meeting is coming up on March 3rd, so we'd love to have you there. That's real soon at this point. Uh, lunch will be served. Our new pastor, Dominic, will be there. He'll be recognized as an elder. Um, at that time, uh, we'll have a prayers of the people service, so we'll, it'll be a music and prayer. It'll just be like a celebration, I think. Maybe we should get balloons. I feel like we should get balloons or something. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. It'll be fun. I, I'm very, very, it's a long, a long prayed for event, so I'm thankful that it's here. And then Carrie. Uh, Anderson had an, uh, an announcement for us as well, if she's still willing. Yes, she is. Let's clap for Carrie. Let's just give it up for Carrie. That was so kind. Hi, I'm Carrie Anderson. Uh, if I don't know you, I'd like to. Um, I work at the library downtown, um, Central and 10th and Grand. So what I'm going to share about is another... Um, Sorry, I never do this, so I'm not very good at it. Um, another opportunity um, that I've learned about through my work there, which is why I bring that up. Um, so the library downtown, we have a full-time social worker, if you're not aware of that, um, and she works a lot with um, people from all walks of life who come downtown and, and need various things. And so most of what I'm gonna share is something she wrote uh, for me to kind of explain. Um, about a barrier she sees with a lot of unsheltered, uh, unhoused individuals that come downtown. Uh, an issue that a lot of people have is they don't have an ID anymore, either because it's been lost, stolen, expired, uh, various things like that. To get an ID, as you probably know if you've ever changed your name or anything like that, um, you need to have an ID in most cases or something which can be a expensive to get or just impossible to get. It's kind of a circle of, um, needing to like have a social security card or a birth certificate, but then needing an ID to get that. Um, and it's also expensive. So that can be a big barrier to getting access to social services, to getting a job, getting a house, um, all those kinds of things. And so that's something she sees a lot. And she's been working with the Iowa DOT. Um, and they're willing to come to the library themselves and have decided that they would be willing to give anybody who doesn't have an ID, as long as they've lived in Iowa at some point, um, and have had an ID to do it for free for them at the library, not required, just based on you know looking at them and photo identification, um, which would be remove a pretty huge barrier. 
But the library doesn't have a budget for that. They need an account. Um, the DOT is asking for an, the library to have an account to pay for the pretty much just the cost of printing IDs. Um, the library doesn't have a budget for that, which is where I'm hoping that Gateway might be able to come in. Um, the cost is um, what they would like in the account is $500 per quarter, which would be which would make an ID for 100 Iowans. So if they can get $2,000 a year, then that would fund it for a year, which would hopefully then it would be able to keep going after that. So if that's something that you would be uh, feel called to or interested in giving to, I think, um, Kate has the instructions there. You can text a dollar amount plus library ID there and um, or visit the site. I think it's going to be in the weekly this week as well. So if you just want to watch for that. Um, and if that's something you have any questions about, I'd be happy to um, talk to you or find, find out if I don't know. And I think as far as the timeline goes, um, I think the DOT is hoping to kind of get it started April or May, um, get it going. But so I think that that's all I have to say. Thanks for your time. All right, uh, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for that. I pray that we're able to fund that, either ourselves or alongside other people. I pray that, yeah, things like that, just ways that you are bringing renewal in our community, that you would just put those in front of us, that we would walk in them, that we take steps of faith, and that we would see them as an extension of being your body, on earth. We thank you for Carrie. We thank you for others here in our congregation to work at the library. And God, we just pray that you would lift them up and encourage them as they serve our community. So we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Pray you just use it for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm not sure of any technical ways to parse this out. Um, but it seems to me there are various types of wonder. Um, and I don't necessarily mean wonder as in like, I wonder what I'm having for lunch. I'm thinking bigger than that, like wonder. And so there's a kind that elicits like cheers or applause, like the wonder of Carrie doing an excellent job at announcements, maybe elicited awe and wonder. Or like the roar of an audience, like a stirring performance of an orchestra, uh, maybe holding a a child or, or a, a, heart, a hand of someone you love. Um, maybe your heart's been stirred to wonder singing at church or reading a poem. I don't know, whatever your thing is. And it doesn't happen a lot to me, but there are times when I've encountered wonder that it's overwhelming almost. It, it's something that when you enter into it, you've, you feel like you've entered into a sanctuary in time. A time where maybe God's presence is inhabiting. It feels almost palpable. And in those moments, words tend to escape us instead of fill us. We are almost left quiet. So in awe and beauty and grandeur and creation, we find ourselves still. And maybe even there's times amongst people where Somebody has forgiven you and for something you didn't think you could ever be forgiven of. Or maybe even it's 
money, debt. What is the anatomy of those moments? What makes them significant? Well, as I already admitted, I don't actually know the technical way to parse this out, but I can think of at least two things that I kind of sense that happen, for me at least. One, we, we see, that is to say, our own view broadens. We are given the gift of perspective. I'm not primarily speaking here of the human eye's field of view. I'm saying we're enriched by the understanding that we live in a world with beauty again, a world with other beings, living beings. Like, that's kind of wild stuff. Like, y'all are like beings that are breathing, and you have brains, and you can think about thinking, and you can think about thinking about thinking. Like, this, this is very meta, right? And you, like, take in oxygen, and you breathe out carbon dioxide? Wait, right? I almost said monoxide? That's, a, that's cars, right? And anyway, so we see, and, and we also see what we're not. We see all that surrounds us and isn't us, we see beyond ourselves, so to speak. Two, we feel seen, even if we experience, even if the experience might make us feel exposed and everything in our lives is an absolute train wreck, somehow we encounter a wonder that reminds us that beauty still exists, even in this like messed up world. And then maybe, just maybe that means I still have a chance. Maybe the secret of life really is relational. It is communion. It is filled with beauty. We aren't only the sum of ourselves. We feel the presence and gaze of a living God. We aren't alone. We remember who we are. We feel seen and we see. So when you grow up in church, like I did, sometimes it can be difficult to kind of reawaken that sense of wonder when reading or hearing a Bible story you're familiar with. But for whatever reason, today's story left me actually wordless, which is kind of a rare thing for me. <laughs> like actually in awe, I was kind of surprised by it. And it's not one you'd expect, it's the story of Zacchaeus. Like just 10 verses in the Gospel of Luke. And it's very, very short. And yes, that's my first short joke about Zacchaeus. He is a wee little man, as they say. <laughs> so it's a challenging thing to run out of words when you're trying to write a sermon, but here we are, so I'll do my best. Here's why I think the passage took my breath away, and we'll get to it here in a second. Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus shows us the power of enemy love. There really isn't, isn't anything quite like it. You know it when you see it and you say, that's not normal. When we encounter true enemy love, we are left in wonder. It helps us see again, you could say. We remember who we are and who we are not, and we are given the gift of perspective. So today we're gonna to take a little trip back in time to a city called Jericho. And there's a map for those who could see that. It is up top in the north of the Dead Sea. We've got Jericho of the Old Testament, which was one city. And then we've got Jericho of the New Testament, which is just slightly south of that. You've got Jerusalem to the southwest. And you have the Jordan River very close. It would be like a 20, 30 minute drive, if that gives you a sense of how close the Jordan River is 
That area is called the West Bank, meaning it is west of the Jordan River. <clears throat> so a city, Jericho that is, it remarkably still exists today and is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, continually inhabited city in the world. Archaeologists can trace evidence of many successive settlements dating back to around 9,000 BC. So like there's like 20 different eras they can track, of different as they dig down. And it's found uh, within modern-day Palestine, like I mentioned, in the West Bank, just um, west of the Jordan River. It's also the lowest city in the world, at 846 feet below sea level. It is what's called an oasis, which is a fertile region within a desert, or like a semi-arid environment that supports plant life and animals. So during the time of Jesus, Jericho was inhabited by a diverse population of people that include both Jews and Gentiles. It was a prominent city with various religious and government figures. And within Jericho's Jewish population, there would have been religious leaders like priests, scribes, Pharisees, who were responsible for overseeing the religious practices and teachings of the Jewish law. And as part of the Roman Empire, Jericho would have had Roman officials overseeing the administrative and government affairs. This can include governors, tax collectors, and other officials representing the Roman authority. So you have kind of like a couple different parties of authority going on. So with that little tiny slice of context, um, let's read our passage for today, which is Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. It's really hard not to sing the song, isn't it? <laughs> to see what he could see. Um, since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. <clears throat> now, tax collectors in Jericho and other parts of Judea, they did play crucial roles in the Roman administration. They were responsible for collecting taxes, like I mentioned, things like tolls, customs duties, on behalf of the Roman government. And these taxes included things like land taxes, income taxes, taxes on goods passing through trade routes like Jericho that we saw. So that's our man Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, in fact, which means he stands at the top of something of a collection pyramid, taking a cut of commission from each of those who collected taxes for him. The Jewish people despised tax collectors. And he wasn't just any collector, he was like a leader among them, meaning he would have been viewed as like the worst of the worst. So let's just call it what it was. Zacchaeus was corrupt a man who enriched himself by overcharging his own countrymen, taking advantage of them, requiring bribes, and was running a bit of a pyramid scheme. And Zacchaeus traveled throughout the whole region to collect taxes. 
He would have often encountered resistance and hostility from locals. He would have kept detailed records of each person, all their tax payments, to ensure compliance with Roman tax laws. And despite all this wealth, his social status would have kept him isolated from his own community. He was an outcast. He was likely faced social ostracism and challenges in maintaining like family relationships and friendships. And then meanwhile, he's got Rome breathing down his back. He had quotas to fill. Maybe if you're in sales, you know what that's like. I don't know. He would have resorted to overtaxing or extortion to meet these quotas. And if he didn't collect enough or didn't play by the Roman rules, he could face legal consequences. So in sum, this guy probably felt a little bit like he lived in a prison of his own making. But he was rich. <laughs> Luke 19, 1 through 4 again says, Jericho entered, or I'm uh, Jericho, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not cr see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So this might spark a little bit of a memory from our study last week. Um, here's the beginning of the account of Jesus' encounter with a rich young ruler, as recorded in the Gospel of Mark. Mark 10, 17 says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So both Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler tracked down Jesus on his way somewhere else. And both of these guys are wealthy, and yet they're both drawn to a poor rabbi to, from Nazareth. <laughs> this is not like the right guy to be seeking out. It's almost as though their consciences were pulling them toward cleanness, toward renewal. And that's the topic of our series, our Lenten mini-series leading up to Easter. Renew rhythms and restoration. We're trying to understand what it looks like to be renewed and what it looks like day in, day out. It turns out that only one of these men was actually truly seeking renewal. Okay, so back to the sycamore fig tree. Also, there's like a couple types of sycamores, so that's why it's a sycamore fig tree. The other kind would have snapped the branches. So it's a big stump thick. I'm really into forestry so that I could nerd out about that, but it was enough to hold up a grown man. I'll just put it that way. Even a little guy. Um, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see of the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. You ever tried to, like, see or sense Jesus but felt like you couldn't? Like there was something impeding your view. You've tried connecting with him and struggled. Sometimes, I think it really does take, like, an intentional movement. Sometimes a dramatic move on our part to position ourselves so that we can hear his voice clearly. You could say that we need to get above that which drowns him out. So today, through the person of the Holy Spirit, we don't need to climb a tree. 
Anywhere, anytime, we can connect with the living Spirit of God as he dwells within us, his disciples. But still, it can be kind of difficult sometimes. Because the Holy Spirit isn't embodied like a person, Jesus. His voice requires a different type of attentiveness, listening, noticing. We learn to become students of his voice. We learn to notice a particular type of prompting, maybe even a type of wonder. He tried to see who Jesus was and was unable to because of the crowd, because he was small. I wonder if we would still have that passion to pursue Jesus today. Are we willing to like reorient our bodies, the paths we're taking toward his teaching to climb above and get a view of just maybe like a drop of truth or maybe forgiveness? The rich young ruler, he went after Jesus, but that's where it stopped. He only went halfway in his heart. The young man was clean by the standard of the law, but unclean by the standard of faith. And now we meet Zacchaeus, whose name literally means pure. So you have this clean, rich, young guy who's actually dirty, and then we have this dirty, rich guy who's about to be made clean within, in line with the meaning of his own name. Verse 3 again says he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So he positions himself in the best place to see Jesus. He looks, and where Jesus is going, that's where he goes. And in that, some church traditions, they would say, Hello. I'd say, that's a word, right? That's interesting. This last fall, my kids and I were running behind in our attempt to see the Beaverdale Fall Festival, which is something very important in our lives. We live in Beaverdale. We're trying to see the parade. Allie was out of town, kind of like today, and Dad didn't do a very good job managing his time. So by the time we showed up and sat down at the parade route, we literally watched the last float drive by us, and that was it. Like, we sat down, and here it comes. And, th- and then Ambrose, I was asking him, I was checking my facts on this yesterday, and he reminded me that the last float was actually just a garbage truck. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's like such a failure. Like we missed the whole thing. So like Zacchaeus, he was not about to be deterred, or I was not about to be deterred. So like, we picked up our things, and we ran along the parade route, as far as we could up stream, kind of. Because, like, I had promised my kids candy, and so this was really self-serving, actually, because I didn't want to deal with the consequences of that. Um, so we weren't about to head home candyless and paradeless and joyless. So we managed to see a little bit of the parade and get some candy, not total success, not a total failure. But I kind of relearned a lesson which is that life moves on with or without you. Same with parades. And time marches on, and so do marching bands. The position of our hearts matters, but so do our actions. And of course, our actions are a reflection of our hearts' attitudes and priorities. Let's learn a little bit from Zacchaeus. So I have this kind of intense illustration 
hundreds of people gathered, you've got Jesus in the middle, and you've got Zacchaeus up in a tree, and Jesus is calling him down. In Luke 19, 5, it says, when Jesus reached the spot, we'll say that's the spot, <laughs> he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be with the guest of a sinner, be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So you've got Jesus, who is like larger than life, looking up to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, who is small, looking down to God in the flesh. And then Jesus calls him down to meet with him. And this is not just a call out of a tree, although it is that. This is a call to discipleship. This is a call for Zacchaeus to get even lower, you could say. And I guess that's kind of an unintentional short joke. Also, I was like the shortest kid growing up, so I feel like I can make these jokes. He calls him down. And this is a, like, I love this illustration because it shows that this would have been a very public spectacle. And I think that's accurate. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' world, into his home. And ultimately, Jesus invites Zacchaeus into his heart and his home, so to speak, into his world, into the body of Christ. Verse 7 says, all the people saw this, all these people, and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And the word mutter is the same word used to describe the Israelites when they were grumbling as they were wandering in the wilderness, if you remember that, during the Exodus story. It's that sense of, like, frustration, maybe even self-entitlement. Like, I earned this. Like, ugh, this guy? Are you serious? Okay, that's good, Kate. Thanks. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And here is where I was left a little bit in wonder, like looking at the power of what's happening, of being forgiven of much, of being able to live up to his own namesake finally, pure. Can you imagine being named pure and everyone hating you? It's as if you could hear the shackles just falling from Zacchaeus. Unlike the rich young ruler who falls on his knees pleading with Jesus for clarity on how to inherit eternal life, this despised, shady, rich guy running a pyramid scheme stands to his feet and says before his own community and God incarnate that he was wrong. He just owns it. How rare is that? And how beautiful, how challenging. Verse 8, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody about, out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus didn't even need to tell him what to do. He just did it out of the overflow of his heart. 
he is adopting already the rhythms of renewal. Do you see how he's starting to see? He is already immediately becoming a disciple of Jesus. He's taken on a new rabbi right there and now and is operating in the spirit of the kingdom of God. By the standards of, of the law, he's admitting to theft by pledging to pay back people fourfold, which would have been the standard. So how's Jesus going to respond? Hey, whoa, you're a liability to me. I don't want to be associated with you. Thanks, but no thanks. Now he listens to him. He sees him. He recognizes the seriousness of what Zacchaeus has just offered publicly before his corrupt cronies, before the whole community. Who knows what this will cost him with Rome? This is not a moment without risk for Zacchaeus. People hate this guy. Everybody hates this guy. And the guys that don't are just using him. It's just that now he's admitting that he's wrong in front of everyone. Verse 9 said, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do you see like the dignity that Jesus, he just steps right in front of him and say, No, 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 I got you. Earlier, Jesus calls Zacchaeus out of the tree and tells him that he must visit his house today, like now. And now he's saying salvation has come to this house. See that correlation? Jesus is the salvation that is visiting this man's house. This is a picture of communion, of reunion, of God tabernacling with us, meaning it's a picture of God making his home in us. He makes us holy. He transforms us from the inside out collectively into a temple. He dwells within by his spirit. The Jews, they were proud, I think rightfully proud, of their status as, ch as children of Abraham. But tax collectors were viewed as having forfeited that very right as Abraham's offspring. They were damaged goods. They were traitors. Jesus doesn't skim over the fact that Zacchaeus was lost. He says it out loud in front of everyone, and yet Jesus restores Zacchaeus to God to himself, to his community, to the place he has wronged. Jesus, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost because God is making all things new. But remember, this isn't just any guy who was on his way to see God. Because before, he was on a path away from God. And Zacchaeus was functionally an enemy of Jesus' own people. Despite being a Jew, he was extorting God's people to enrich himself, other tax collectors, the Romans. So why would Jesus, Jesus I keep saying Jesus, saying Jews and Jesus sometimes get tricky. Why would Jesus choose this man to publicly align himself with, to visit, to save, to reclaim as a son of Abraham? Because if Jesus loves Zacchaeus, then maybe Jesus can love me, or you, or anybody. Maybe Jesus, he really is that good and that different. He really is a good shepherd. We're going to jump back just a tiny bit in Luke, to Luke chapter 15. 
it says this, and it's very similar language. Verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, all very parallel language, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is teaching a crowd of tax collectors and sinners who had gathered to hear him. Pharisees and scribes were also present, and they were grumbling because Jesus was welcoming and eating with these sinners. And grumbling starts to become maybe a little pattern that we're noticing when Jesus keeps the wrong company. In response to the grumbling, Jesus tells three parables, including the parable of the lost sheep, which is what I just read, to illustrate the concept of God's rejoicing over the repentance of sinners. He uses the imagery of a shepherd leaving his flock of sheep to search for one lost sheep until he finds it. And upon finding it, the shepherd joyfully carries it home and celebrates with his friends and neighbors. So here's the question, I guess. Who are you willing to eat with? Maybe a different question is, who aren't you willing to eat with? And I don't mean that like somebody that's been cruel to you or hurt you. I mean, who would it feel risky to eat with publicly? Imagine you're like sitting at Jordan Creek Mall at the food court, and this person, like people are walking by, snapping photos, taking videos, whispering, oh my gosh, is that, I don't know, I can't, I didn't have anyone in my head, Kanye West, isn't he, he's crazy, right? No, I don't know. I I had nobody in my brain, so I picked Kanye. I'd sit down with Kanye West. One time, I had a little tiny taste of this. Back in 2017, I had traveled to Washington, D.C. to attend a National Immigration Forum conference, participate in a Capitol Hill Advocacy Day to try to appeal to the Iowa delegation to pass some comprehensive immigration reform. So you can see how successful I was. On my way back, I was at Reagan National Airport, and at my gate, I noticed Iowa Representative Steve King. Um, King was well known for his staunchly conservative views on immigration and his sometimes inflammatory or insensitive comments on immigrants or immigrant communities. I'm being very PG here. So there was a group surrounding him at the gate, talking with him. A little bit of buzz. And at this point, King was like toward the height of probably his name recognition and face recognition, I guess. 2016, he had released a video from his office, just sort of an average day in Northwest Iowa, and then people noticed he had a Confederate flag in his desk. So let's just say this guy was not earning a lot of friends at this time. So as I boarded the plane, I started praying that we'd sit next to each other, because I'm a psycho. (laughs) I sat down and watched him make his way toward his seat, and he did end up sitting next to me, but right across the aisle, so it wasn't like prime conversation situation. So after we landed in Des Moines, I didn't give up. 
I saw where he was like going and he was stopped by some people. So I was like, if I like go to the bathroom, which I did actually need to go to the bathroom, but I'll, I'll exit the bathroom at just the right time to run into him. And it worked. <laughs> and I mean, like, I looked like a Republican's dream come true that day. Like I was strutting around in like a blue suit and tie, Banana Republic shoes. I looked like I belonged in Washington. Or like, I, but I looked like I was 17, I'm sure. So as we walked, we began talking about immigration. And as we made our way through the airport, it was wild. Like every few people that are coming at us are like, go to hell. Like, F you, Steve. Lots of these, lots of middle fingers, lots of FUs. I mean, this is the Des Moines airport. This isn't like Jersey, right? This is Iowa. Not normal. So we ended up staying at the airport, just the two of us, for like a few hours, talking. In private, off, away from the hecklers. And I walked away from that conversation, one, frankly, more stunned by his views on race than I ever could have imagined. But I was also grateful I took the risk. And I mean, like, you never get two hours with someone like that, right? So there's a few dynamics I want to point out here. One, the very reason I had traveled to DC was because of people like him. That was like the conversation I wanted to have and didn't. So praise God, I did. And he was, as far as legislation goes, the enemy to what I was hoping to see happen, at least that day. But for whatever, whatever reason, God gave me a kind of a clear-eyed vision to speak to him and to listen to him. And he commented multiple times on like my blue eyes. And he kept talking about telling me to make sure that I should reproduce. So that was kind of weird. So sometimes like when you're in a situation like that, you have to just, you have to count the costs, right? Second dynamic. There was this real tension within me that said, you don't want to be seen with this guy. This guy is intense. Like this is not good. Also, I would meet with Steve King today, for the record. People are going to think you're like a Confederate sympathizer or something, Matt. What are you doing? You're in Des Moines. People know you here, maybe. Okay, so bring it back to Jericho and Jesus and Zacchaeus. And we hear again the words of Jesus in Luke 15 as he's hanging out with other tax collectors. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in an open country and go after the one lost sheep until he finds out? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Thank God. I am not here to pronounce judgment on Steve King or anyone else. I don't need to. That is thankfully the Lord's work. And not everyone is called into a weird conversation like that, but I was prepared. And God put me in a place and a time to have that convo. convo. That's like shorthand, right? The point is this. All of us, all of us need Jesus, every single one of us. Zacchaeus and the Pharisees and me and you, it doesn't matter where you're from or who you are or what your job is, 
what your beliefs are even. We all come before God empty-handed and in need of salvation. It is something only he can give. It does really rehumanize people. He does. This is something to wonder at, to initially be silent before. This is a God worthy of awe and worship. And the good news is this. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And apart from Christ, that's us. That's our story. He scoops us up. He makes us like Zacchaeus, pure. He renews us. So Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I think that really beautifully sums up this little sermon. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Against all odds, that's the story of Zacchaeus, the swindler and the pure. And then part two happens, we take on the rhythms of renewal of our rabbi, Jesus. We walk in this. We don't just stumble into the work of renewal. We seek out ways to bring restitution and healing and restoration in forgiveness, in reunion. We seek to right wrongs. We honor others with our words. We go with a little less so others can have more. We help others see and to be seen. We risk our reputation sometimes for love. In short, we become the body of Christ on earth. That's why we're brothers and sisters you are the family, the body of Christ on earth. You, all y'all, along with the family of faith around the world. So let us position ourselves to see Jesus and to respond to his voice, whatever that means in your life, and to go where he leads, even if it, you do not know what's going to happen next, even if the crowd grumbles a little bit. Let's yield to Christ to work in and through us powerfully in this community, gateway, and beyond. Let's join God in the renewal of all things. Mm -hmm.